brand is made up of everything. It's the text, it's the color, it's the business value messaging that goes with it. It's your unique selling point over your competitors. It's your people. It's your amazing product that you have. It's how much, you know, all of the people that are, you know, on board to grow that business are invested in it. B2B has the potential to be electrifying. But the industry is paralysed by a culture of conservatism, scared stiff in a straitjacket of rational ideas. It's time for change. It's time to make B2B marketing visceral. Join us as we uncover and explore the truth with leading B2B marketers. This is B2B Marketing, the provocative truth. So obviously, look, we've known each other for uh, a very long time, but um, I'm sure the audience would love to know a bit more about you. Would you like to introduce yourself uh, to the audience? Yep. Yeah. Um, so my name is Anya Long. I've been working in B2B marketing environments since, oh God, about 2010, I think about 12 years. Uh, in that time, I've been through working in companies that were involved with hardware then into software. So I guess initially in my career, I worked with a company called Profitanics, um, very small company, American company that had a, a basis here in Ireland um, from where I'm located. And it was a great learning ground in terms of understanding how businesses like to be marketed to and working very closely with a sales team. They were a small group. There was a small sales group. So it was great to see an alignment between marketing, product marketing, um, engineering and sales. I guess from there, I went into more the SaaS space. It saw me working with a company called PGI that did video uh, conferencing solutions. Um, very apt from what we did over the last two years of going fully online. Um, at the time, I guess they were coming up against some of the main competitors that we know today um, within our Skype for Business, Zoom and um, some of the Cisco uh, products that were there as well. That then took me into security. So I had a stint with Trend Micro, um, which was great again. Working on the B2B side at the time, they had a consumer product um, available as well. They were winding down that side of the business and, and ramping up um, what they were doing in the B2B marketing space. And then I guess the most pivotal step in my career came after that. Um, I was very fortunate to get a role, um, one of the first marketing roles with the company called Nginx. Um, it was a Silicon Valley startup company and they were expanding into Europe and I was one of the first hires and was on a rocket ship for five and a half years and went from, you know, that 100 plus people into 250 plus up to when we got acquired by a larger company, F5. And I've uh, yeah been working with F5 uh, over the last two and a half, three years and uh, taking a little bit of a break now at the moment before I get on to my next big role with a company called Sysdig. Wow. Okay. So very impressive. And I think that uh, one thing that uh, I was really intrigued about speaking with you is you've got so many different experiences within different brands, obviously very fast growing ones. You mentioned Nginx, but then obviously becoming part of a, a much bigger beast when it when it got acquired by F5. Um, and today, 
uh, we're here obviously to talk about um, a problem that has uh, plagued a lot of marketers, certainly even, maybe even more so over the last number of years. And that problem is understanding how to balance short-term uh, lead generation versus long-term brand building. I know that it's a topic very close to, to Benedict's heart. So, um, Benedict, do you want to kick <laughs> us off with an initial question? <laughs> yes, yeah, certainly. I, mean, I don't know um, how, how really, really, really close to my heart it, it is, but you know, for the sakes of this, we will we'll definitely, we'll definitely <laughs> roll with it. Um, I do have other passions outside of the, the balancing long and short-term objectives within marketing, but... Not for the next hour. Not then. for the next hour, as you say. Um, I think that uh, one of my first sort of like questions it's not going to be around sort of like how do we make the case for longer term brand building because that's actually something that we've we've spoken about quite considerably on this podcast and i think i'm pleased to see that within the market there is that sort of growing understanding but where i feel there is still a gap is what what is the decision making process and and what should be evaluated when you come to sort of deciding what sort of split should be between longer term brand building activities and shorter term sort of activation. So my question is, and I'd be really interested to hear is when you are making a decision about what that mix looks like, what are the factors that you take into account and how do you come to those sort of decisions? It's a great question. And I think it's something that, you know, depending on where your organization is on their growth path, um, it's a big, you know, determinant of where the marketing budget um, tends to go. So if you're an early stage startup, I mean, the big thing is around awareness and brand building. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you can invest a lot of dollars in it and not necessarily be able to track and monitor it to the same extent that you would in a fully fledged lead generation or mm-hmm. demand generation campaign. Um, versus if you're further down the funnel, you've got a big marketing tech stack and you're able to, you know, have all of your marketing ops people dive in to see where all of the different things are coming back. You know, you're able to say that you want to put a certain portion of it into that awareness and the brand building with your existing customers versus net new. And I guess that's that's a point that, I you know, is really important in that, you know, depending on where you are in your life cycle as an organization, you know, what is the focus? Is it to build on the brand or is it that demand generation piece, legion? Because I think nowadays you'll find a lot of companies investing a lot of money into digital and into demand gen and putting a lot of emphasis on what they perceive as top of funnel, but really it's just short term getting leads into SDR, BDR teams. Yeah and rushing them through the funnel. And I guess if you're a smaller company in a more transactional business, that's fine because that sales cycle is shorter and, you know, the average selling price is probably not as large as what you would get from maybe a more mature organization where you have a longer sales cycle, you know, multiple decision makers involved in that sale because of the value of, you know, what they're committing to in terms of that bottom line when a deal is closed. Um, I guess for me in the past, you know, there's, you know, I've been at organizations at different stages and, you know, early in my career, we weren't able to track and measure to the same extent that we do now. I, I think coming back to that tech stack and being able to measure each touch and marketing touch and having all of our 
attribution pieces that we're able to plug in and see what we get back from them. You know, that that is pretty modern. And I think a lot of organizations are struggling to make the investment to get to a place where they can understand it. So if you're an early startup, you can't just put all your money into your MarTech stack just to get that kind of insight because you need to be working on your brand and building that brand. And in terms of building it, like every brand is made up of everything. It's mm-hmm. it's it's the text, it's the color, it's the business value messaging that goes with it. It's your unique selling point over your competitors. It's your people. It's your amazing product that you have. It's how much, you know, all of the people that are, you know, on board to grow that business are invested in it and how they can, you know, get that vision together and get excited about it. And then it's those initial customers that you get day one that, you know, trust in the brand, trust in the organization and, you know, ultimately become some of your best marketing people, Mm. uh, especially at an early stage, because they're the ones that can advocate to say, hey, yes, we've invested in this piece of software or in this product and it works really well for us. And, you know, you want to scale that up. So I guess coming back to it, for me, I personally think it depends on, you know, where your organization is at, where they want to get to. Um, I mean, you can go down another track, Ben, and say, hey, you know, we've been all focused in on our brand around this value proposition and our mission was to go in one direction. But something happens from an economic perspective or within the market or your competitors are doing something quicker than you are and everything has to pivot. So then your brand and all your marketing has to pivot to align with that as well. Um, So I think the brand is something that constantly needs to be invested in. Um, be that from a short-term or a long-term perspective. And then in terms of how you're breaking it out, I think early days, you're spending 80% of your budget on building that brand. But as you get further down, you know, that growth path, you will see that, you know, that weighting might change a little bit. Um, It's something that we did really well in Nginx when I was there, I guess Nginx was quite unique insofar as it was a a very renowned open source project and it had a massive community of people associated with it. And those people were helping to build the brand. So when marketing came in, it made our job a lot easier because there was awareness already out there, which is quite unique for an early stage startup company Um, versus, you know, when I was in F5, F5 is a massive brand. It's in the majority of large enterprise organizations globally. And in terms of, you know, what F5 wanted to do around the brand was that, hey, look, we are F5, but we've made these great acquisitions. And as a company, we're transitioning and, you know, we want our customers and our prospects to know about it. So the focus in terms of what they wanted to do with their brand was shifting. Um, and, you know, it was making their existing customers aware of it, keeping all of the demand gen going. But because there was a pivot, there was a slight increase in an investment yeah. in, in, in what you would be doing around the brand and the awareness of that new direction that the company is going in. Great. I mean, firstly, uh, I, I loved your sort of um, 
very holistic sort of definition of brand. And that's hopefully something we can pick up on later in the conversation. I think it's really, really important that people understand that, that multifaceted sort of um, dimension. I also think look, it's, it's really helpful in terms of how you've sort of described that rule of thumb that when you are a startup, you need to have that 80% investment in brand. Um, but that sort of mix might change over time when the priorities change. Now, do, do you think that there is... That, that risk and, you know, that realisation of complacency for a lot of brands, as they become more established, they think, well, tick, you know, I've done that investment in brand. I've done that. Now I can focus on demand gen. From your observations, is there a tendency for that complacency to creep in and actually brands are under investing in brands when they reach that sort of maturity level? Absolutely. I, I think it is a challenge um, because I think as you get larger you've got larger sales goals and you're trying to align closer with your sales team and it's very difficult i mean sales teams work quarter to quarter um and unfortunately it's more short term than long term for a lot of organizations Mm. and within that it's more difficult to say hey you know we need to start looking at things on a longer, more strategic level. And in that part of what we need to do is keep investing in our brand where they just want that lead generation piece happening. Mm. And I think as the company gets larger, you know, the investments in some of that lead generation activities and, you know, that marketing mixed of, mm. a mix of what an integrated campaign is made up of and, you know, and how you go to market with those things increases, um, the cost increases. And as a result, you don't have as many dollars left to spend on the awareness. So I think there has to be, you know, a real intent to try and ensure that there is a certain portion of the budget that is kept to work on the brand or just keep that good trust and awareness and um, I guess emphasis that has been there all along uh, aligned to it as well as trying to balance those needs Mm -hmm. that you will have with your sales teams or with your product teams as they try to put new things out into the market because you know it's very easy to say oh yeah we have a plan and we're going to execute against it I think you always have to have a certain amount of flexibility because things change all of the time. But what you want to do is make sure that there is, you know, a certain amount of focus around where the brand is at and keeping that trust, that loyalty, that excitement, you know, around it. Because everybody wants the next big thing. I mean, if you look at Apple they do a phenomenal job of it. I mean, of their brand, it's a really clean, crisp brand. And like, there's so many different studies that are around it, mm. but like the loyalty and the following and, you know, I guess the trust that a lot of people have in the brand is phenomenal. Um, I think it's so- just, just, sorry, oh, sorry, no, continue, I interrupted no, no, you're fine. I was just going to quickly, because I think it's interesting, you talked about the amount of studies that exist, for instance, around Apple. And everyone, I think, has that really intuitive and quantitative almost understanding of the power of the Apple brand, the level of awareness, the level of loyalty, the relative just positive sentiment, basically, towards it. But that's a, that's a consumer brand, and that's quite commonplace within the consumer sphere. Yeah. Something which I just observe time and time again, and I am quite frankly just like, astonished each time is when we're working with a lot of b2b clients and they put no investment into measurement of brand so actually they don't have a clue how what their awareness level is what their type of association is as they have with that brand 
Um, for you, from your experience, how have you made sure that you are keeping your finger on the pulse in terms of the positioning of of the brand? Because I think that's a key part to sort of ward off being complacent and under investing in brand. Yeah, and, and I think I'd mentioned it a little bit earlier, but we didn't go into it in detail. Um, so within Nginx, we did a yearly brand survey. And okay. that was out to our customers and, and out to a larger audience, basically to gauge that sentiment around the brand. And, you know, there was a couple of really strategically curated questions around, you know, where the brand was at, mm. where the products were at, you know, how people were engaging with it, um, where they saw it or, and their perception of it. Mm -hmm. And I think it was of huge value back to us because on a yearly basis, then we were able to gauge and measure where we were at mm. from a brand perspective. And I think it was very important within Nginx one, because we had a community of people that we wanted to, you know, remain honest and and keep that trust with, as well as being able to build it then as we went more into the enterprise space. And obviously then when, you know, Nginx got acquired into F5. So I think, it, you know, it's really important to find some kind of a measurement piece around your brand. I mean, that worked from a B2B SaaS perspective. Um, it mightn't be the same within another organization, but I think whatever measurement you use, stick with it and be consistent with it over, you know, a certain period of time. I think that's really important. It is interesting, right? So when we talk about um, measuring the success of brand in B2C, you measure the success through the subsequent sales. Where, i.e., you know, if, if you've got a strong brand, you should see that in the following quarters sales to be mm. increased. Now, in B2B, it's quite different because we measure sales on the mm. demand that we've kind of generated. Um, and it's a much longer term sales cycle, right? And, and I think that going back to your point originally, Benny, is the problem actually that um, it's not about us underestimating the power of brand. It's the problem of businesses, B2B businesses, being set up on a quarterly basis, having longer-term sales cycles, far longer-term than seeing consumer sales, that basically we're in this mire of issues because um, you can't focus too much on long-term brand building because the business leaders want to see short-term yeah. results. I, I think that, it, and I'll let you answer that question probably in it's a second, question, on you because no. there's probably probably more that you, you can have to say. But I, I think you're being too generous, actually, okay. on B two B. I think you're giving an easy excuse there, because I think the reality is is that within B two C, they are, yes, they're measuring the success of their brand in terms of sales, and they can see that uplift corresponding with brand activity. But they also invest in, you know, whether it's an external provider or you know, similar to what Anya has just described, in actually gauging brand health. So that's going out, tracking that level of unprompted awareness, tracking that sort of associations which are against, against the brand. And that's done. That's ubiquitous within B2C. But in B2B, for some reason, it is not commonplace. And I find that so astonishing that there isn't that sort of attitude that we should find out how the brand is doing, we should measure it, and then accordingly optimise and make decisions. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the irony is, is that, you know, one or two really bad reviews about your product in B2B could kill your brand. Whereas in B2C, it's not that prevalent because... 
the you know the margins forever yeah. are higher because you've got more customers. Yeah. And so, I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm sorry, Anya, this is this is turning into sort of more of a three-way interview rather than actually I sort of having this conversation. No, with you. happy, happy. I'm gonna, <laughs> that's why we've got the I'll best beast marketing podcast because we don't just <laughs> chuck questions at you. you know? But I'm going to give I'm going to give one more little anecdote for why I think it's so so important in terms of measuring your brand. So not going to name the client, but we, we had a client recently that came to us and they had just um, missed out and had lost on a multi-million pound pitch, um, which was in sort of a, the security sector, sort of more, more generally. And they were, first of all, they were astonished that they had lost it because for them, they were like, this is absolutely our sweet spot. And then the feedback that they got from the um, people that they were the pitching to, they were like, look, we, we liked what you did, but... We, we had no idea you even operated in this sector. So we didn't feel that you had the expertise. And that was just such a shock for them because as far as they were concerned, within the four walls of their, their company, this was completely at the heart of what they did. And I think that that is a lesson that unless you are sort of doing it on an ongoing basis, you find out too late and then you have that really unpleasant awakening and then you're trying to play catch up. You've really got to make sure that you do have your finger on the pulse, just as you've described in terms of doing that sort of annual activity. Yeah. And I think, you know, that is probably more common than we all realize. I think sometimes there's great internal comms with regards to where the brand is going mm. and getting that shared vision and a lot of the time, you know, the weak link is that it hasn't been communicated out effectively enough to all the external uh, stakeholders, you know, going to where your customers are and trying to make sure that when they do engage with your brand, they're engaging with that new version of it. And that's mm -hmm. what I'm saying with a more established organization, you know, when they've maybe made acquisitions or changed direction with their portfolio, that you need to make sure your customers as well as your prospects know that, you know, your company has this offering and that, it, you know, it's something compelling and something that they might be able to leverage on top of, you know, existing pieces of technology that they already mm. have from your company. Like your brand is everything. It's all the good stuff. It's the bad stuff. It's how you deal with it. And as I mm. said, it's, it's your people. And if you can't communicate that, internally, externally, and be where your um, target audience are, you're going to come up against situations where you do go into a customer, think that you have the deal, you know, um, done under your belt. Mm -hmm. And then it turns out that, you know, a competitor comes in and their brand is, you know, better recognized or known within a certain space. And as a result, you know, they clinch it at the finish line. Yeah. And I do think there's something in that, you know, when we, we keep going back to this B2B, B2C conversation, but um, when you think about B2C, it's obviously been a very highly competitive landscape for a number of years. Now, obviously, over the last 10, 15 years, the amount of competition in the B2B space has increased significantly, which has obviously probably had an impact on, um, you know, making brand even more prevalent and important than, than years gone by, um, which is obviously, you know, something that I think B2B marketers should consider but in your experience how do you well actually I'm going to rephrase this question do you think brand is too big is bigger than marketing so you know you say it's everything it's about how the employees 
take the story of the business to market. It's about how you acquire, acquire talent. It's about how you, you're looking to grow. Um, do you think that, you know, when we when we think about brand, we normally always think that marketing should be, you know, initiating the, the, the conversation and, and being brand guardians almost. But without the rest of the business being completely aligned and in tune, you're speaking into a vacuum. How, how would you deal with that? from a marketing perspective. He's making a pitch here for the CEO to be the, the brand guardian and in control of all well, brand no, decisions. Well, no, I'm not. So that's what's going no, on. I and you, know, you definitely don't want that either. He knows that. <laughs> no, it's a great point. And I think sometimes it is bigger than marketing. Um, and I've seen examples of where CEOs really believe in marketing and invest really heavily in marketing. And as a result, you know, you can have a company that the perception of the brand is that they're a lot bigger than they are because they've invested quite heavily in that awareness and in the marketing piece at an early stage because the CEO has given over those dollars to do that versus a company that might be a little bit more mature that have failed to keep investing in the brand or maybe don't invest the same level of it. And as a result, they're getting left behind. Um, and I can think of multiple software companies that are coming out of Silicon Valley that are getting different series of funding that are investing it into their marketing and they're getting out there and they're everywhere. They're online. You know, now that we're going back to the face to face, they're the first ones on the ground. You know, they have all the boots. They have all the swag. They're doing all of the different amazing things that you can do online now to get to customers at, at the speed of light. Um, and I think that that's going to be a big differentiator. Ultimately, it helps some of these companies to get acquired by the bigger companies later because they buy in the brand mm -hmm. as well as just buying in the technology. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think that it, it is, you know, that management team within an organization you know, our senior management or executive team understanding the value of marketing. But as we said, is it bigger than just the marketing department? Absolutely, because it comes back to all the people in all of the different departments being part of, you know, the shared vision, the mission, you know, that value proposition of what the brand brings, be that your finance department, be that your legal, you know, all of your sales, all of your product, all of your engineering groups. If all those people don't believe in the brand, you know, we are the companies we work for. Like on a daily basis, when we show up, we're representing them. And that doesn't matter what department you work in. Once you have a company that, you know, they pay your wages every month or every week, you know, you are an ambassador for them. And as a result, you're an ambassador for the brand. But going back to the, you know, original point where we spoke about long term brand versus, um, you know, short term demand, you obviously were in your last role for five, five and a half years, which I think is a really interesting timeline, because my understanding of, of, of the way things have changed in B2B is that over the last five years, people are buying more now than ever before in, on brand affinity. They want to be sold to a lot less. You know, that the structure of our sales teams and the marketing funnels have changed quite significantly. Are you able to talk to the audience about your experiences as to how generating demand has changed in the last five years and how the role of brand has impacted generating demand today versus five years ago? Yeah, I can try. <laughs> so I guess, look, from when I started out, you know, it, it was this 
small company trying to break into Europe based on the fact that we had huge awareness of, you know, our open source technology at the time. You know, we were able to build on that as we put salespeople into regions, you know, we would have scaled up, you know, the investment in what we were doing in Dock once we had a Dock sales team or what we were doing in France once we had, you know, French people on the ground. And all the time you were still kind of working around the whole demand gen piece. And I guess that's really what it came back to. And our level of measurement around these things wasn't just on the brand then. It came back to more the sales funnel, you know, and marketing funnel metrics. So in the early days, you know, it was all about how many leads did we get in this quarter? But as we started to grow, it was like, okay, so how many meetings did the BDRs or the SDRs book from these leads? Um, Or how many of these leads went to MQLs so that they could go to the BDRs? And then from there, of those meetings set, how many of those meetings actually took place? Of those meetings that took place, how many of them turned into opportunities? And of those opportunities, how many of them turned into sales? So as we started to grow and there's, you know, the revenue numbers and um, goals started to get larger, you know, we were investing a lot of money in the demand gen side and we still had bits of things going on from an awareness perspective. And like we did a lot of activities that would have been, you know, I guess I'm just speaking in, in terms of targeting a DevOps audience. You know, we did a lot of meetups where, you know, you'd bring people along for free, give them swag, you know, bring them up to date on some of the trends within the technology versus actually selling product. You know, you wanted to give a forum where people could come and learn and share their knowledge and their experiences. But what we wanted to try and do with our sales team then is take them away from that more transactional business and take them into a discovery piece. And this is where the sales cycle and, you know, the length of your sales cycle is really important to comprehend because, you know, the salespeople need to be able to have a discovery conversation First of all, to understand if there's a challenge and that if the customer has a need and then ultimately if we're able to sell in something that can help to fulfill that need and meet that challenge that they have. And I think this time last year, maybe around May or June, Forrester brought out this really interesting stat about how we went from, I think it was like 17 marketing touches that were getting attributed to a enterprise sales deal to nearly 27 touches. And that is a big change in terms how you go to market and your marketing strategy and, you know, trying to work with sales to meet that quarterly um, sales goal and ultimately try and feed into a longer term strategy. Because I think integrated marketing campaigns are something that we're going to see people investing and doing more of. So it's not just doing a campaign for like a month or a quarter and leaving it at that. It needs to be something that's over a longer period of time, taking in multiple touches, keeping the messaging consistent with regards to what you want to get out there. And then all the time keeping that brand, you know, front and center and being there every time the customer goes to research something around the solutions area that you're able to, you know, fulfill the need for. And I mean, we've worked with agencies like Alan in the past to help us 
get content together for different stages within that buying journey, getting content together for the different people that are involved in a sale. You know, it's not ultimately just the end user anymore. It's all of those people within an organization that you would never even think of. You know, as we said, it is the finance department. It's the legal department. It is, you know, people that, you know, are managing up on an engineering side. It's people that are maybe collaborating with security teams. It's people that are collaborating with different um, different departments and different teams responsible for different elements within some of these larger organizations. And I think as a result, marketing has had to pivot a lot. Ultimately, the last two years were a big pivot when we saw all of our budgets being pushed into digital and we all had Zoom fatigue and we all did a lot of webinars and, you know, virtual events um, of multiple sorts. And I think now we're seeing the change in people going back to the perceived normal um, insofar as they want to get back out, they want to meet people and then they want to add in that activity of meeting face to face again into that mix of those 27 marketing touches, be that, you know, from an email, a webinar, meeting at an event, meeting at another event, you know, engaging with a piece of content from a third party vendor that you've syndicated um you know clicking on a linkedin post clicking on a blog you know engaging with some kind of a digital ad you know there it goes on and on and there of all the things that we know of you know there's touches that we never hear of from a marketing Mm. perspective where you ring up your colleague in a similar company going hey look we're looking at this technology i think i heard you mention it before you know, there is a whole narrative happening there where your customers become your brand as well. And we could go into a whole other conversation around that. Um, but I think as a marketeer, and I think Anya Brain had mentioned it, it's keeping things simple and keeping a focus there. You need to go back to being very clear on your direction and on the goals that you have, be that from a quarterly basis from a half yearly basis or an annual basis and maybe it could be over a three-year basis because you'll find that there's a lot of sales teams that have those longer goals and you have to try and align to them i think one of the things that's i mean a lot of the things i think struck a chord but one of the things really sort of struck me in terms of what you were saying there is around that importance of a consistency of messaging um because w- one way of, of looking at it is actually that there are now 27 touch points in which you can sort of build your brand. Uh, and I think that that is something which is so often overlooked is that we kind of think about and we even pre- we even uh, sort of prefaced this whole conversation as this whole binary option of brand building or short term sort of sales activation as if they're two separate things. And actually brand really has to pervade everything now the activation might might change clearly but the brand has to be that consistent sort of um element in everything that you do so whether you're talking about it in terms of being a consistency of, of of messaging whether it's a consistency of that sort of brand identity every single touch point should be telling your brand story 
And I think that's where a lot of marketers, um, and you know, it's understandable, we're all trying to do a million things at the same time, but mm. we overlook the importance of making sure that every piece of content, every interaction is imbued with the brand and is telling that brand story and that brand proposition ultimately, um, I think is absolutely key. Just to flip that on its head, you've got 27 opportunities to make one mistake when it comes to your brand as well. Yeah, yeah, completely, completely. I think is, is exactly the, the way to do it. But you've got to think about it in that joined up way. Because I, I think, again, from my sort of observations is that, now there's a lot of brands out there that it's probably not very clear what they actually stand for and what their sort of proposition is, but put that to one side. That's a, that's a whole different sort of conversation. But you know, even those brands that are actually very clear about what they stand for and what their, their story is, there still will be that tendency to be like, well, we need to really sort of like push on a lead generation. So we will create a research report or report and we will gate that and we will be able to get some leads because people will give up their data to get it. But then when you actually engage with that content, whether it's on the landing page or whether it's actually in the report itself, you know, what differentiates that from a report that could be done by its competitor? very often it is just exactly the same content, it's just a different skin. And I think that there really needs to be that concerted effort to think about how am I telling my brand story at every opportunity? And as I said, not just through making sure that the visual identity is on point and we're following brand guidelines, but in the sort of the, the purpose with which we are writing that content, the way that we are tackling issues, the way that we are providing answers, how is that a reflection of, of the brand that, that I am? And that, that's something that I really feel passionately, you know, we need to grapple with better as a sort of a sector. Yeah, no. And look, I think that that comes back to the value, because if that's good quality content that you keep giving out, um, people are going to come back to consume it. Yeah. But if you're giving out content that's maybe too sales focused or it actually doesn't address some of the challenges that people want to try and find an answer for, you probably lose them and they won't come back to get more of your content mm. again. Whereas if it is something that you know, people don't have an immediate need now for a solution that if that content is good and they're like, yes, I can use that. It kind of builds up that trust to say that when the time comes that they are ready to purchase, that they will come back and try and engage with you because there's been that unconscious, I guess, um, validation of what you and your brand do. Absolutely. And, you know, we've seen it so many times coming, obviously, from a content background. There are always people that say, oh, I like that brand affinity. Oh, I remember that you created this cool piece of content on X, Y or Z. And I think that, you know, that this is a whole nother conversation itself. But it's around, you know, uh, just because people download a white paper or a piece of content doesn't mean they're ready to buy. And that's fine. Um, and, you know, as a marketing community, it's um, it's really important to acknowledge that they are, like you say, a number of a series of touch points um, and they have to be extremely consistent. I think that's a very, very fair point, Benedict. But you have to remember that these people, they're on a journey and like it is, it can, and like sales cycles can be anywhere between 24 and 36 months for larger deals. Mm. And, you know, if you're giving good quality content that they can, I guess, engage with, it's, you know, coming back to what we said and, and that example that you had given earlier, Ben, you know, there's the credibility in showing, okay, this organization, you know, their brand is associated with this. They've given an in-depth piece of content that I, you know, I'm confident that they are actually subject matter experts in this area. And, you know, that we can take a punt on, 
you know, going in all hard and investing, you know, with them for this solution versus going with somebody else. And I think a lot of the time and, and it's, you know, it's a big part of you know, a company being mature enough to know that you can't always do this internally. I think that's the beauty of probably working with agencies and investing with an agency that they can take that more holistic view of everything. They can look at it from the outside in the same way as your customers are going to view it. So we internally can sometimes be, I guess, blindsided by just hearing the same thing day to day and assume that everybody else knows it. But the reality is that if you step outside of it, you can often find that, you know, not a fraction of a percentage of people that need to know about it actually do. Yeah, no, absolutely. absolutely. We didn't ask for that plug, by the way. <laughs> oh, she wasn't referring to us. <laughs> oh, she was. Cause I, I, remember, I remember some of those lines from a couple of years ago. Uh, yeah, I remember yeah. that. <laughs> but it is. And I think, look, you have to be able to take information from everywhere, be that competitors, prospects, you know, your existing customers, new sets of eyes. I, I've worked in some of my organizations that I worked with in the past and been kind of frustrated with some of the things that have, you know, been focused in on from a marketing perspective, knowing when you walk in the door that things need to change and they don't change. And every new hire that comes in after says the same thing that you said day one and it still didn't change. So if you have people that are coming in going, okay, you know, there, there is this trend or pattern, but just because we don't have data that a dev or that a, a marketing ops person has found, you know, to say that there's a gap or that something should be done differently potentially versus just a narrative of somebody that's done research on a company and then come in, um, you know, I think it's probably a bit short-sighted for a lot of organizations and and it can be quite frustrating knowing that there may be a quick win, you know, to start pivoting and doing something a little bit different to, to the way things have always been done. I, I think it's been, a, like, firstly, thanks very much for um, coming on. I think it's been a really, really good chat. And, you know, whilst, no I, whilst I said at the beginning that it wasn't a subject that was close, close to my heart and I, you know, <laughs> feigned all of that ignorance um it is actually something which is i think firstly very very like stimulating conversation piece because there is such that tension that it exists um but it is also as hopefully you probably have, or may well have seen anyway is something that i do get impassioned um about but i think for for me there were the sort of two things which really sort of st stood out i think firstly that conversation we had around measuring brand um you know, we, we, we put so much emphasis on measuring the success of like short term activation and we have all of those metrics. And then generally speaking, because there are obviously some notable exceptions such as yourself, because you talk you talk through it, but we don't put any effort into really measuring brand where we are and also measuring the effectiveness of brand and how that translates to sort of reducing cost of acquisition. So I think that importance of measurement is hugely, hugely sort of like um, prominent from my perspective. And then the second thing is this, this whole idea of just having your brand extending across every single conceivable touch point that, it, that exists. 
Um, you know, a brand is all about consistency of experience. And I think for marketers to really have that sort of like mental shift that everything needs to be a reflection of the brand, it has to be a sincere expression of that brand is, is so, so important. Because ultimately, that changes the whole conversation from it being um, something which is, you know, short term activation and brand building and mutually exclusive to actually every opportunity. Every, every sorry touch point, every activity is an opportunity to to build that brand, um, and I think that's a really really big thing which I think should be taken out of this is how we can use every touch point as an opportunity to build brand. Yeah, I'd absolutely agree with that, and I, I guess Richard will know that that's something that I'm quite passionate about as well. Um, and I think a lot of it came from my days in Nginx. It was really the first, well, maybe a little bit in PGI too. Um, I think, you know, the people and the culture feed into a brand. But I think when everybody gets that excitement and, you know, is very clear on where things are going, that definitely helps to get, you know, that appreciation of the brand in everything that you do. And I think that really needs to be the aim for a lot of organizations. But it's overlooked in so many cases. And you said a really key word there, which is the word excitement. Now, what you need to do when you are coming up with a brand is firstly, you've got to be it's got to be really clear about what your proposition and what you stand for is. And I think a lot of brands suffer from actually getting something which is clear and distinct, but it should also be exciting. A brand needs to galvanize people. And that's not only galvanize your potential customers and clients to want to spend money with you ultimately, uh, but it should also galvanize everybody that works for that organization to want to embody the brand and make sure that they are sort of, um, you know, being a manifestation of that brand at every possible opportunity. So that word excitement, very, very important. And it's been very exciting to have you on the show. Thank you so much, Anya. Thank you, Richard. No problem at all. B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth is brought to you by Allen Agency. To find out more, head to allen-agency.com. You can stream B2B Marketing, The Provocative Truth on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else great podcasts are found. And don't forget to click subscribe to ensure you don't miss out on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Allen, thanks for listening.